This episode of the Tome Show is brought to you by Noble Knight, where Out of Print is available again. And listeners like you, thanks for using the Tome's Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links, and for being a patron over at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. Questions are clear up all your misconceptions. You don't dress up to play D&D. You don't dress up to play D&D. You don't dress up to play D&D. Welcome to the Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley, and in this episode, number 290, we're going to take a nice, orderly approach to examining the greater good. No! We're going to thrash around wildly and destroy everything! As we talk about the role of alignment in your game. Joining us are some of the nicest people I know in the gaming community and friends of the show. First up, the designer and writer who has his name on a good chunk of the work from Kobold Press and who promises me personally, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that he is going to design a 5th edition version of the Shire just for me. Welcome back, Dan Dillon! Hello! Thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure to be here. And yes, I am already in the planning stages for the Shire, so this is yes. going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you were a little doubtful the other day on Facebook, so I'm excited to hear that. Uh, yep, and- no, no, I'm going to make it happen. Awesome. <laughs> And also with us is a fellow podcaster from the Down With D&D podcast. You know him from having written, like, adventures in every single season of the Adventures League ever. It's Sean Merwin. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. I'd have you I, I'd, I'd have you guys on, like, we'd do a weekly show if, if I could, had the time for it. <laughs> uh, and lastly, the, the to, to round out the, the prestigious panel that we have with us tonight... Uh, is the legendary designer from Paizo, although we'll forgive him that, Stephen Radley McFarland. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Welcome, kind of, SRM. Uh, yeah. I don't, I, have you been on before, Stephen? I believe so, like a long time a long ago. long time ago, yeah. Um, it's been yeah, too long. Yeah. It yeah, has I, been too long. I know, I know you and I hang out at Gen Con sometimes or whatever, but we need to chat. Yeah, more. yeah. But yeah, I need to be on more often, Absolutely. even though, you know, I am technically the enemy. <laughs> right, no, exactly. No, no. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I'm just here to mess this place up. That's right. <laughs> He's the chaotic yeah, evil one of the group. Basically, yeah. yeah. I am the answer, Paladin. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So you may remember we're taking a brief break from our in-depth examination of each class in D&D to chat about some other advice topics that have come up. Uh, today is about alignment. There's an aspect of the D&D game that's been part of the rule since first edition, and while it's been, as Jeff says, slowly been reducing mechanical importance <laughs> from edition to edition, it's still an iconic element of the game that marks D&D as being D&D, according to some. <laughs> yeah. she, that's what happens when she reads my script, ha ha ha. Uh, so, uh, before we dig into that, we're going to mention our sponsor, Noble Knight. Noble Knight is, a lo- is, is our longest-running supporter, and it would be awesome if you would return the, their loves back to them by heading over and buying some uh, game products for yourself. New products, old products, they've got it all. Our pick for this episode is the Alignment Games poster from Dork Tower. It's one of those fun little memes put onto a poster where they have the traditional sort of alignment grid and then pictures representing each of the alignments. Uh, in this case, well-known tabletop games. Uh, it's also it's kind of cute and it kind of explains to me why I'm not really that into Pandemic. I guess that game and I are just not alignment compatible. Uh, it's only $15 at Noble Knight. Go grab it and, and tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Noble Knight is a long-standing game store specializing in finding out-of-print games while also offering the newest great releases. Including D&D? They got it from any edition. That's right, all of them. What if I want a board game? Card game, minis, or dice? Noble Knight has it all, and at a discounted price. In fact, Noble Knight has over 30,000 unique items on stock. And you know you can trust this Better Business Bureau accredited store with a satisfaction guarantee. Yeah, but I've bought too many things over the years. How can I justify spending even more? Good thing we're talking about Noble Knight, then. They'll buy your old gaming things and offer you cash or trade. So you'll be able to keep up with all the great gaming stuff you want. Check them out at noblenight.com. Wow, I'll go today. And be sure to tell them the Tome Show sent you. 
All right, so now it is time to figure out how alignment, which has reduced in, in mechanical importance through the additions, can still play a role in our game. So first of all, uh, for, for anybody who's not familiar with the alignment system, is anybody will, interested in explaining to us the, how the alignment system works, the law versus chaos, good versus evil uh, sort of balance thing? Sure, I can do that. Go for it. All right, uh, so at least very simply, alignment is a concept that describes how a character um, views the world and, and acts uh, both morally and then in sort of a societal sense. So you have two axes. Uh, first uh, is the lawful, uh, neutral, chaotic axis, and that uh, determines... Um, is sort of how you view society. Then the other part is the good, neutral, evil, and that determines your moral outlook. And so you'll pick one of those three things for the first part and the second part and combine them to create your alignment. And then that says something about your character. Right on. So over the additions, uh, it feels like that alignment has intentionally become less mechanically important. Is, is, can we all agree that, to that? Oh, totally. Uh, I'm not quite sure about that, right? So first off, we'd be uh, a little bit remiss to to realize that the the current alignment system was not the first alignment system for D and D. The first alignment system was just law neutrality and chaos, and it was more in in the original D and D and basic D and D, just kind of like what side you're working for. And it really had very little mechanical significance. It was it kind mm -hmm. of came out of the wargamer roots, just to sort of create sides. Okay. So, and only in advanced Dungeons and the Dragons did we have things like alignment language, and it started creeping into the rules with class choices. But it really hit more mechanical significance a little bit in second edition, but mostly three, third mm -hmm. edition. That's yeah. fair enough. I didn't I didn't consider the first edition three alignment thing because I or not yeah you know the the original D D O D and D stuff. Um, because I never really played much with it. I came in in uh, first edition AD&D. That's where I really mm. uh, got into it. So that's kind of where I start thinking of it. So yeah. it's kind of waxed and waned a little bit. Um, that's a good okay. point. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, and that's an interesting historical point. Uh, I, I, I guess in my mind, I started with second edition AD&D, right? And so um, mm -hmm. my perspective is, well, there's all these spells and things that key off of alignment and... When when detect evil is a thing and paladins can detect evil at will, and when uh, you know your your oath or whatever is dependent on on you the, you as the player and your your DM sort of agreeing that you are in fact following this this alignment, um, it feels very mechanically important. Uh, and then as it went through by fourth edition, it kind of it wanes to almost non-importance to the point that it, it was just an extra line to put on the on the the sheet right yeah yeah no uh it, it's also interesting to note in od and d which only had uh law neutral and chaos it did have spells like protection from evil which became very muddy mm -hmm. interesting can i ask you a quick question sorry yeah go sure. uh, it's not exactly related to this but um so we know, like, magic system originally was kind of related to the Vancian magic. Was there a particular fiction that was related to the alignment? Uh, probably, well, Moorcock and uh, maybe a little bit of the Amber series, too. Yeah, I had heard uh, about Moorcock uh, before. Mm -hmm. hmm. And even in Moorcock, those things aren't, aren't nearly... It, they, they have a, a sort of morality base to them, but they're still sort of cosmic sides. Um, and, and even when I was working on on fourth edition and we got that kind of muddled alignment system. I worked really hard on coming up with an interesting alignment system where you start, everybody's basically started out as, as being neutral or unaligned. I was saying, remember in fourth edition, there was no neutral. No. Yeah. It got switched unaligned because, uh, well, Bill Slavisak and others, uh, basically thought that the term neutral had no meaning and that, uh, unaligned had a deeper meaning. And I, I was unsure about that. I, I, I tend to look at things logically, and I'm like, well, those kind of things mean the same thing with, within that scope. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, an unaligned is a perfectly good way to say neutral, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, right. so since you worked on fourth edition, Stephen, um, yeah. wh what was your thought on dropping chaotic good and lawful evil completely? I thought it was dumb. Okay. Uh, and, I, you know, 
I, I, I didn't see like if you're gonna if you're gonna go with with most of that alignment system, dropping those off just seemed to be like a weird decision to me, which which I said in many a meeting um, and and lost that argument. It was just, I mean, because if you've got momentum of people having a basic understanding of those alignment systems, and then you just go, oh, these two that you knew of. Uh, um, and you know, chaotic unaligned. That was a big mark of contention. Was the the the, the chaotic and lawful neutrals? Um, mm-hmm. They didn't know what to do with that. But I'm like, but mm-hmm. your fan base knows exactly what to do with those things. They might argue about it, but people have been arguing about alignment since like half of early days of Dragon Magazine, or people talking about how much garbage alignment is and having a better system, or mm-hmm. uh, trying to to grok it. Mm-hmm. Um, building point systems to figure out what your alignment is and how it shifts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, those have been in every edition of the game, and we we even sort of did one in Pathfinder Unchained as well, right? Because as much as we kind of quote-unquote understand alignment, we don't really understand alignment. And, and, <laughs> and, and most people come to a point in time where they're like, well, this whole thing is garbage. I'm going to create a, a better system with points and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, in, in actual gameplay, it means very little uh, on how you run your character, and it's just more things for the GM to track. Right. Well, and it sounds to me like that I've heard a lot of really strong arguments for why people, like you say, people think alignment is garbage, and we would be fine just sort of wholeheartedly getting rid of it. And I think that encompasses about half of our panel as well. <laughs> well, well, I mean, the, the problem—the problem with alignment—is that it's it's two things really. It's it's a role-playing device, and it's a mechanical device. And I think the game originally—well, not originally, but with first edition AD and D—you know—they tried to do what a lot of games try to do is combine those two, make the role-playing inform the mechanics, and vice versa. And they 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 started to do that. But it was just there's two such separate things, Mm -hmm. and when people see alignment, they automatically go to the philosophical arguments. And if you're in philosophy 101, that's cool, and you can argue about it, and you can look back at the philosophers over the ages, and you can do that. But that's not really D and D. That's that's a separate thing. And I think that's where a lot of the problems that people have with alignment, especially those who've been playing since first edition or earlier. Uh, have is because so many games have been ruined by alignment. Well, uh, and I and, and I feel like one of the one of the issues is the tying those two things together, right? Because it gives it gives uh, a, an abstract role playing concept uh, mechanics that suddenly matter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so so if I just pick an alignment and then use that as guidance for how I'm going to play my character. And then that's really only meaningful to me, then that's fine. But when there's mechanics behind it, then suddenly I have to have an argument with my DM when they interpret alignment differently than how I interpret it. Yeah. And, if, and if it's an addition of the game where you will lose experience points if you break your alignment, that's that's starting to, to cut pretty deep. Yeah. <laughs> right. Although that was... Yeah. That, when was the last time that was true, Dan? Second edition? That's what I thought, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think for me, like, I... I don't mind, I actually, I think, like the chaotic versus lawful sort of thing. Uh, but it's when you start saying words like good and bad, or good and evil, mm. that it, it becomes even more difficult. Mm. Well, and it becomes yeah. difficult as well because, as has been said many times, every good villain thinks they're the good guy of their story. So are they evil or are they good? Yeah, right? sure. It's a better perspective. I, I, but, but there's also, like, other things, particularly if you start bringing in like Christian morality or something potentially that you know for female characters it might be kind of suddenly you have a DM depending on on mindset that says like oh well you're actually doing something that is bad or evil because of their viewpoint and then you have to yell at them stop being a sexist screwball <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it, it does kind of start like getting people particularly people who are who've been raised in a like good versus evil uh, it sets the framing for them mm-hmm. absolutely sure. Well, and let's be straight. Most people are actually terrible at ethical thinking, right? Um, uh, you know, we all sort of t- are, are the heroes of our own stories, and we all do things for basically selfish reasons. And to be able to sit back and ask yourself, like, is this a good thing, is a complicated and difficult process. Um, and, and and most people 
don't do it really well, but they think they do it excellently. And that's the problem with games as well. Is mm-hmm. is of course I'm playing my lawful good paladin with the you know the the morality of Archie Bunker, uh, and that's perfectly fine. That's that's a great point, and that's one thing I wanted to hit is that when you try to port the concept of alignment to things, particularly real world concepts and people, you're going to run into a problem into just so many problems because this is an incredibly complex issue. People are very complex, mm-hmm. and trying to boil down morality into this two axis, you know, nine nine different boxes thing. Uh, I, I mean, this uh, you run into the same stuff with hit points not being exact physical wounds, right? right? You just you have to remember that you're dealing with a game abstraction and and not try to try to have it solve all your problems. <laughs> well, and that br- that brings up the point that that oftentimes people look at their character's alignment and believe that because of that alignment, you must always act within the bounds of that alignment, which ignores, as you pointed out, Dan, it ignores the complexity that is, that is reality, right? Uh, it that, also ignores what's written in the damn book. Well, yes. <laughs> well, that's, that, if we talked about everything that was ignored in the book, then that's a, that we did, that's a whole other conversation, right? Well, you know, I'm just talking about the one that's relevant to this one. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> um, but, but I mean, it's, People treat it as, as a bit of a monolith. Like this, this is the thing sure. that define my, defines my character, and, and there's no wavering from that. But just because I'm lawful good, doesn't mean I always behave lawfully, and doesn't mean I'm always doing the right thing, right? Uh, because right. there are shades of gray, and people falter, or people, you know, there are situations where, yeah, you know, I'm lawful and I'm good, but in this situation, like greater good says, I have to do this non-lawful thing or whatever. Yeah. Right. I mean, it sort of it deals with this uh, this universal principle of good, right? And 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 then you do actions. And so, if you are universally good, aren't all your actions good, right? Or right. do somehow you need to be explained um, all of the actions that are good and conform to that? And that's when things get really muddy. At least with hit points, right? We're talking about a physical response expressed mathematically. Sure. That you can sit there and measure, but you just can't do that with alignment. Or if you can, it's very sort of qualitative rather than than the strictly quantitative that mm. that something like hits it. Right. So so given all of the reasons that alignment is horrible that that we've now uh, <laughs> discussed for a good what five ten minutes, um, and acknowledging those faults, how can we use alignment well? How can we make alignment work for us? Uh, what do you guys think? And I know some. And, of, is uh, and, and I know it's some of you. Works. Some of you have the response of, "Well, we can't. Let's just get rid of it, and that's how we make it work." But but well, assuming I, I think, we keep alignment, how do we make it function well? Well, I think you can come to the understanding that, as we've just said, that even if you put an alignment on your character sheet, you do not always have to be that. Because situations do change, and if you don't have a mechanical penalty to acting, you know, your character behaving differently, then it loosens that straitjacket that some people feel they, they're wearing or that other people force them into when they do not act exactly in the way that either the book says a, an alignment a- acts or the way the group ethos uh, feels that the, the character should act. So separating the mechanical from the role-playing uh, will will eliminate at least one aspect of the problems there. Mm-hmm. And I find that if I eliminate the mechanical from the role playing, then all of all the alignment is is a reminder to me of how I envision role playing this character. Right? It 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 kind of fits in. I kind of I kind of want to move it from where it is on the character sheet to sitting over with the the bonds, flaws, ideals, those kinds of things, which are just little little bits to to help me remember uh, the the quirky things that I do to to make this character who he is or she right. is. Yeah. Well, that's one one thing you could do uh, is figure out, like, for each god or uh, other belief group, um, what those terms mean for them, too. Mm-hmm. Like, that's another way one could do it. Well, I think I'm an at- important thing to do is to, as a group, as your playgroup, make sure you guys are on the same page with what alignment means. Because, I mean, you go on any forum and you're going to get so many different answers of uh, what is neutral good what does that mean what does a neutral good person do Mm -hmm. um 
figure that out for yourselves. One of the reasons that I think I like alignment is because I've had a long-running, pretty stable playgroup, and we all are on basically the same page with how alignment works. So it works very well for us. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think actually that's kind of the key, because the longer I go on developing these systems and, and, and thinking about the subject, I'd much rather uh, take attack from almost the, the OD&D thing or create an alignment system where it almost becomes a higher level cosmic political party mm. um, where as you go up in level and you 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 know to use some fourth edition uh, terminologies get get past the heroic tier and start heading in the paragon tier you start thinking not about nation states but about like the the cosmic wars that go on between gods and devils and everything else mm-hmm. and what side are you going to pick and even within those sides there's disagreements but there's a set of kind of these are the goals we're going after. And mm-hmm. I think in a lot of ways for, for narrative structure and play style and everything else, that might, I, I, I have a feeling that might be actually a better structure. Is getting rid of the good evil access altogether, you think? No, I mean, like... Or, or just looking at it as more of a cosmic sort of overarching goal sort of position. Yeah, an overarching goal, who, who tends to work with who, who opposes other people sort mm-hmm. of on the, 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 the God and outsider sort of level. And while, you know, just like any other political party says, these are our goals, and sometimes they live up to them and sometimes they don't, but that's what they strive for. It's basically a side that you pick in this larger conflict. And, and there are certain, some, certainly some stories that you might tell in your game where, where knowing which side you've picked is important. Uh, yes. And there's others where it may not matter at all, right? Uh, I, I, part of my current campaign inv- involves me having integrated the old uh, Rada Seven Parts adventure. Well, oh, knowing, yes. knowing who's lawful and who's not is kind of a big deal if you're going to run with the, the Rada Seven Parts. But if I'm not dealing with those kinds of cosmic things, if we're a mercenary band uh, saving the village from a, an orc raid, uh, knowing where where I fit in on this cosmic, you know, a party system, as as Stephen puts it. Um, may not be important to that story. Yeah, Rod of Seven Parts is a really good uh, a good, a good example because um, it feels like, and maybe it comes from the original conception where there was just lawful, chaotic, and neutral, that mm-hmm. in st- before this whole good and evil thing was central in D&D, it was really about law versus chaos, talking about the war against chaos and, and all that stuff that's boiled into that kind of artifact storyline. Um and I just want to echo that the the cosmic forces thing for me is is a very important aspect of alignment. It's not just um, this relativistic oh how do I think and how do I feel about it. No, good, evil, order, chaos. These are forces in play in the multiverse. The planes align themselves on it. The you know the gods take sides, and there are massive cosmic wars fought. You got the blood war, and you know going back to the war against chaos. All of these things are big, important things kind of in the background and, and in the overarch of, of D&D. And for me, when I run alignment, um, it's not just, oh, how do you feel at the moment? They are, they are cosmic forces that, that shape the world. Yeah, I think that's where the alignment system actually really shines. Anything else is just arguing at the table over, you know, garbage. Yes. <laughs> right on. Sean, yeah, guys moral, re- moral, think, moral well, uh, relativism in D and D loses me real quickly. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the trick is to take, well, with with any story, but with the with the D and D campaign, is to take those larger um, concepts and make it relevant to the players at the table mm-hmm. uh, in in the actions that they take, because otherwise there's a disconnect between my character really wants a sweet shield. Um, in the next adventure, because my armor class is too low, mm. and uh, you know, so it's it's making that connection with your group to make it relevant without making it too pedantic, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me though, the the big issue is that I don't think there is a universal definition of good or evil. So <laughs> I think that's mm-hmm. where it kind of uh, it, not having. Well, and that's yeah. where like. If, so yeah, so so there's no universal definition of good or evil. I would agree. Um, there's a point where there's there's almost an advantage to the simplicity, and, and yes, that means you're simplifying things, uh, and there's risks uh, to, to doing so. But it's sort of like when I'm running a D and D campaign, and and there's a mystery involved. 
and you have to be way more obvious with the clues in a D&D campaign than would be realistic or even fun if it was, you know, a novel or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's D&D, and if you don't make it, like, hit them over the head with the clues, the the story will just end because they won't find, they won't see the clues. They won't understand, right? right. Um, it, it's a little bit like that in, in the the advantage of that sort of simplicity, right? It's, it's a, it's a moral uh, position where you just kind of have to hit people over the head with this, this is where you are and, and have that discussion if you need to. Um, I guess the only place where I really feel like the good versus evil access even really matters on the cosmic scale is it determines whether or not you align well with certain gods or others. So, you take well, I mean, you take the position of okay, so where do you fit on on this this you know it's sure it's relative on good and evil, but where how well do you align with the goals of this god or that god? I I mean to to play devil's advocate because I definitely tend to be a relativist, but I do actually think there are um, some some pretty good uh, uh, very real precepts of what is a good thing, and I think mm-hmm. most. Most people agree with them, and most cultures agree with them. Uh, murder's bad, right? I mean, uh, when murder is different than killing, stealing is bad, right? There are some exceptions. There's always these kind of exceptions. They aren't, you know, strictly universal. But you know, if you're stealing to eat, that might not be as bad as you're just stealing for personal gain. Uh, abusing sex, right? And in fact, as you as you start to go down, these tend to be probably well put in the Buddhist precepts, right? So I'm, mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to take that which is not given. I'm not going to take a life. I'm not going to um, bear false witness. Um, I'm not going to abuse sex. And then there's a thing about the drug abuse, which I'm terrible with, but let's skip that one. And, um, <laughs> um, I, you know, and in a lot of ways, those basic things are generally good. And you can see that uh, when the bad guy breaks those rules in front of your characters and you can watch them just be horrified, mostly mm-hmm. if it's very personal. Like, they stole my thing. They killed my mom. They uh, did sexually inappropriate things, which we won't get into because it's a family show. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, and you can create that divide very viscerally at the table of, of what, the char- or what the characters and the players will think is good and evil very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually think the glimmer of that is there. There's just some wiggle. But that's, that's life, too. The murder hobos. The murder hobos. Um, and, you know, and we also tend to be selfish creatures, right? We're, we're, we're both of those things. We're, you know, we, we'd like to do the right thing, but we also want that better shield to increase our armor class. And that <laughs> is a huge motivation. Um, and so finding a way to mix those two in actual gameplay is, is prime. Yeah. And it gets into to a lot of... Uh, you know, as Tracy points out, with the idea of the murder hobo characters who who consider themselves to be good people, although they're walking through a, uh, a settlement or a dungeon or whatever and slaughtering every goblin and orc they see without actually finding out if these are good people or bad people, right? Um, and that's that's also kind of part of the history of the game. Of um, I guess you can be a good person even though you're just slaughtering tons of people without knowing who's good and who's not. Well, the problem with that is the the basic assumptions there are kind of on your side, right? When you're going into a dungeon or an orc camp or whatever and you're fighting monsters, these are just sort of de facto evil things. The orcs are going to raid and destroy and take and kill, and that's what they do, and that's that's why you're there. Um, you know, it's not like you just decided, hey, a hole in the ground, let's go see if anything lives here so we can take it shit. It's, that, that's a little bit of a... I don't know. That's an oversimplification people love to throw at it, and it's ignoring a lot of the context of what right. he I mean, is, which is heroes killing murderous yeah. monsters. Right. I mean, the monsters are monsters because the game says they are monsters. That's exactly what <laughs> Stephen was just talking about. Yeah. Is, you know, you can show in grim detail these are the bad guys, and, and the orcs are considered the bad guys. So, you know, and then we get into the whole dilemma of, well, the orc babies are there. What have they done? Yada, yada, yada. Uh, We've already set the ground rules. The game sets the ground rules that they are evil. Yeah, but I don't know that that's it does. That's the big problem I have with it. Yeah, I don't <laughs> right, know that exactly. it exactly. And I don't know that it does because we also are, are playing a game where more and more many of those quote monsters are becoming PC races, uh, right? Yeah, well, so suddenly they're not all evil, and now we have to reconsider that. 
Right, and and therein lies the whole reason we're having this discussion and this problem is the game will assume one thing, but then the game will change or the DM will will alter the game as DMs are supposed to do. And and so there is a lack of communication between what the shorthand we, we believed in was and what the game has now become. Well, and I honestly have a really issue. I have a big issue with the shorthand part. Uh, because, right. Yeah, sorry. No, no, it's... No, no, it's why? Th- yeah, that's, but... that's exactly the, the, the issue that, that we have. Is yeah. We have assumptions on one side of this is what the game is supposed to be, and then we have assumptions on, on the other side, and until those are communicated out, um, that's, what, that's when there are going to be problems. I, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's kind of the Star Trek effect, and, and and that Star Trek effect goes on with the narration. So, you know, once upon a time, it was, you know, you might reason with Klingons, but they were definitely the bad guys, right? And, um, and then Worf comes along, and it's all like, well, maybe they're not as bad as we thought that they were. Um, and so, and then you've got to create new bad guys. Uh, the, 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 the whole nature of the conflict in these kind of adventure stories is... You've got to conflict some, with, with someone, and eventually you get to understand those people, and you go, oh, maybe we're not as different as we first thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, uh, so one of my favorite contemporary authors is Joe Abercrombie, and he does a great job creating a very sort of uh, morally relevantist uh, uh game but he still has an orc equivalent where when these guys show up right you better murder them or you're going to get murdered uh and sometimes that's that's very important to move on uh, move along the story right and D does it in spades right it's not like those orcs at least in D's basic assumption those orcs were not just farming and minding their own business and then you kick in the door to take their gold um you know they're there because they were murdering villagers and and burning their houses <laughs> yeah but but were, um, were all of them doing that? And do you know? Most of them. <laughs> I mean, okay, but you're killing all of them, not most of them. Right. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I mean maybe, maybe I'm killing all of them. Maybe I'm not. Maybe it's just a warren full of, you know, orc warriors right. and eyes of grumpsh and people who are trying to rip my eyeballs out and mm-hmm. boil them in a stew. When, when you're you, watching... What's sorry. that? I said, when you're watching Lord of the Rings, you know, and they're slaughtering orc after orc after orc, you don't mm-hmm. say, hmm, I wonder if that one orc there, he wasn't actually looking at the guy when he shot him. I wonder if Legolas <laughs> shot one. Uh, he, was he really a good orc? Correct. Let's sit and talk about this. I mean, and there are games where that discussion is absolutely vital right. and mm-hmm. and need, needs to be had. Um, and sometimes in your D&D game, if that's the way you want it to be, you just need to have that communication ahead of time so people Absolutely. know. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, and, and then you you know you can get more complex with it. There is room for that. Um, th- that's what uh, that's where the whole you know not everyone always acts perfectly in the bounds of their alignment. That's right. where I mean that I mean that's that's out of the book. That's that's the basic assumption. Uh, at least you know talking about fifth edition D anD D. You know, a lawful good person in general. You know, obeys the law, believes in the good of society, and and is a, a you know do, does not do uh, things directly to harm other people because you know they want to do things that are helpful to other people. Um, they don't always do that, right? People slip, people make bad choices, um, circumstances force them to take a suboptimal choice for whatever reason. That person is still generally lawful good, right? That's where the uh, kind of the the descriptive. Uh, nature of alignment versus the prescriptive comes from, and I'm very much a descriptive kind of guy, right? If your if your alignment written down on your sheet is chaotic neutral, but you start very obviously, you know, going out of your way to help the downtrodden and and fight the corrupt, well, then we're going to have a talk about does that neutral still represent what you're doing and and what your character is, or is it starting to shift more toward good? But I'm not going to say no, you can't do that. It doesn't say good on your sheet. You're not allowed, mm. right? Well, and I, I, I'm inclined at that point. To, I mean, I'm not even going to have the conversation. It's their character, and it doesn't have any mechanical effect on how I run the game. So if they want to play chaotic neutral that way, as long as they they have a consistent you know uh, uh, personality that, that that they want to use for that character, then I don't have a problem with what's written on the sheet. I, I would have the conversation just so that we're all on the same page. Okay. Um, so they they understand you know the kind of game that I'm running where alignment is descriptive but does matter. Uh, and also has that, you know, sort of 
overarching component, that cosmic force of, you know, there are forces of good, there are forces of evil that are literally composed of that, you know, entire planes and races of beings are just made of good and evil, and they're going to take exception if you're doing one or the other, you know. Um, and I like to have that consistency, and I like everyone at the game to be on the same page and at least understand where I'm coming from, and will, and so they will understand when I react or how the world will react in various ways to what they do, and, and so that they'll be well informed to make those choices. Well, that's kind of an interesting point because, in a lot of ways, if, if morality and alignment and, and 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 the point where they kind of come together is outward effects of an internal struggle. And so, in some ways, I think I wouldn't even have that conversation. I would just create interesting story consequences mm -hmm. based on the, the actions that they've done. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't sit there and say, wow, you really slip into good. I would probably find a way to sort of put their money where their mouth is uh, using some of the, the cosmic powers and let them come to that realization themselves, where sure. maybe their alignment should change. Um, you know, if you're going to use that kind of alignment system uh, in, in, in your game, which the the older I get, the more I'm drifting away from that. Who knows? Maybe when I get older, I'll I'll come back to it. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think we were talking earlier about the the idea of of the exception, right? Of of so so let's say you have a setting based sort of universal constant that this cre these creatures are bad people or whatever, and then you decide that you're going to challenge that. You're going to add some some relativism to that. I think there are tools that a DM can use to to signal that right before before the party has has charged in and slaughtered everybody, and then you're and then you you know zing them later. Haha, you killed the good guy, but you didn't realize it or whatever, right? In the same way that a novelist or a movie or whatever will will signal. Um, characters who are exceptions in some way or, or whatever, you can do that. And, uh, evil is really easy to, to signal, right? Because, you know, you, you have them kick a puppy or, or you know, slit, slit somebody's grandmother's throat or whatever. Uh, now we know that's the bad guy, right? Um, right. If there's a good person from a, a normally evil race, um, with whatever that means in our relativism or relativistic uh, situation, um, that can sometimes be a little harder because you have to contrive some situation where you have to see them like helping people in need or whatever in order to signal it. But, um, but I think that as a DM, you have to look for those opportunities. If you're going to, to insert that relativism, make it clear and have that conversation. And when they run into that opportunity, you know, because again, sometimes in D and D, simple is better, you know, or or at least um, more fun. Than, than the complexity. Oh yeah, and if you're going to flip the script, you know, on having your your paragon of good orc living amongst the the raiding and pillaging and murderous orcs, you definitely have to characterize that orc first, right? You can't just say, oh, well, you guys just killed the best orc that ever lived. Nice job. Right. I mean, that. What does that mean? That's nothing. That's garbage. <laughs> so, so what do I tell um, in in my after school gaming club? Right, I, I run a, a game with uh, you know middle schoolers. Uh, and one of the characters made up their character, and and they're playing a Yonti, and yep. and half of the rest of the players are like, well, then clearly you're horrible and evil, and we need to find some way to have you killed because you're a Yonti, and Yonti are evil. Like, how do how do I address that sort of bias that is that is automatic within the the alignment system, and as it applies to to creatures? Well, that's that's strange because we have a, a evolutionary disposition to not like snakes. <laughs> so so that makes it really difficult just to begin with even if they didn't know the backstory of the auntie what you're a snake person mm, suspect uh, yes <laughs> um, but i mean i would let them just sort of play around with it without you know and this is also the hard part about alignment system and the underlying uh quasi racism that's in dnd it's uh, -huh. uh it's it kids are going to fall down when playing all of those things, you know, quote unquote, fall down because they're not going to know what to do. With it. That's, that's the problem with moral thinking is it is, is it's always a struggle. And so trying to make it less of a struggle almost seems to be cross purpose. Mm -hmm. Right. And you do need to know your audience a bit when you're deciding what kind of moral quandaries, if any, you're going to throw oh, yeah. uh, at your players. I mean, 
this this a lot of this gets into some some pretty touchy territory, right? So have a have an idea of who your players are and what they're into and and what their boundaries are before you start digging into the 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 darkest darks and the lightest lights of of the living soul. And um, you know if if you're having a group of your after school kids and one of them wants to play a predominantly evil race, uh, and they're making these characters, build that character in background wise backstory wise with one or more you know maybe even all of the other characters mm. uh, and have that discussion that this this individual is an exception to the general rule of yuan ti are cursed evil snake god darkness worshiping you know stealing people and corrupting them into making more yuan ti right Th- this person is someone who's managed to retain some vestige of their original yeah. self their original mm-hmm. soul and and here's why maybe, maybe you you rescued him just at the moment right. of being transformed right or better, yeah, god, he rescued you yeah, there you go. You were you were going to be transformed or sacrificed, and this one turned his back on you know the temple of Mershalk and and saved you. And and now you guys are on the run from the rest of the snake men who want to come kill you. Outsiders yeah. are strong characters. That's one of the reasons yeah. why Brits and Raceland are so popular. Is they mm-hmm. mostly to a bunch of you know growing up geek kids. They resonate because most geeks feel like they're they're a bit outside of things. Although something tells me that's changing a little bit, mm-hmm. and so it's a it's a strong draw. But finding yeah finding ways where uh, kids can play those things with while being in the in group around the table, but in the out group in the characters around the world can be can be very strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and Stephen pointed out uh, that that some of what we're talking about is the the quasi-racist nature of D&D, right? The, this assumption that all all things and all people of a certain race are automatically evil or what have you. Uh, are there are there real-world concerns with that sort of uh, assumption of in the game? That, that if... Are we teaching people through the game? Are we socially conditioning people through the game that you can just lump certain groups together and assume they're all the same? Oh, society does a good enough job of that. We don't. Have that. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I don't think the game is doing any more damage. Yeah, I think the game as and someone mentioned all of the, you know, the other races that usually we think of as monster races becoming PC races. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that is even, you know, more so allowing people to uh, see to role play the other. Uh, as they as they wish to, because I don't. Everybody plays the elf and the dwarf uh, now. I, you know, so it lets them be the other and see the other side of things and express themselves in that way. Hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I think you have to be careful with getting into nuanced social commentary with things like that because we are starting from the premise of armed, fantastical, magical people fighting other armed, fantastical, magical things. And like the very base bottom line of D and D is, you're going to go and fight things that need to be stopped or, you know, you know, whatever the, the crux of it is heroes versus monsters, right? It's, it's forces of light fighting forces of darkness that are otherwise going to kill and do horrible things in the world. It, you, you, when you start with that, that premise, uh, it doesn't, I mean, you're, you're on a fantastic plane and you can start drawing some problematic parallels, but I don't think we need to immediately jump to that. Tracy, you were going to say something. I was going to say, I would would caution against the belief that you can play the other by playing one of the monstrous races. It's actually a common complaint, uh, particularly I I found among uh, at least some people of color, is like the thought that um, humans are white and then the other races are the ones that are the analogies to uh, Mm. the different races in Mm. in the real world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think you do have to be cautious about that. But I think if you were to look at, um, in some ways, the game does take a lot of our prejudices and kind of put it in, in the way you're saying, Jeff, in that terms of like, and it's not just in all the members of Monstrous Race are evil sort of outlook. It's like everyone that's a dwarf, unless, like, if you're in this group of dwarves, you d- everyone in that group has this bonus and potentially mm-hmm. this penalty and stuff that kind of just reinforces a particular uh, way of thinking that was popular in academia during the time when D&D was created. So, on mm-hmm. top of the wargaming part. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, I, I, I mean, and also, we, we have to be really honest about uh, the base assumptions of Dungeons & Dragons. If you're trying to teach morality through this game, you're doing a crappy job because it is based <laughs> on murder and larceny, right? right. Uh, like, you know, if you, if you want to create a truly moral game, you're, you're going to stay at home and build up a community and everything else. But that's, that's not the kind of escapist game that people want to play. And so we are sort of... Like, there is a difference between real-world world morality and fictional morality, right? Mm, we right. can do things in fiction that are reprehensible to do in real life. And be, just because we, we explore these stories and we play them in fiction and everything else doesn't mean we're terrible people. And even that whole idea is, comes from a, a, a Christian background. Well, if mm. you commit the sin in your heart, then you've already committed the sin, which is garbage, right? <laughs> um, we, yeah. we absolutely have to... Have, we have to make a divide and realize that um, while you can have moral plays and, and, and interesting moral stories, Dungeons and Dragons should not teach anybody morality in the world. That would just be dumb. <laughs> although, although, <laughs> although there is a, there is certainly a place uh, within Dungeons and Dragons where you can you can set up some interesting moral quandaries and and sure. perhaps learn something and reflect on something that is relevant to the world. Yes, absolutely. And I think we're all aware of your your stance towards Christianity now, Stephen. <laughs> well, and honestly, it's I, I'm like, very honest. About that. Oh no, I know you are. It's kind of why I wish we could find a better uh, set of words than "good versus evil." Be sure. So, so what do you want to what do you want to replace it with? I don't. I haven't figured out a good set yet, but <laughs> but but kind of along those lines, because like, yeah, a lot of times Christianity does get. Push, put into there for the mm. like that definition of good versus evil. Mm-hmm. So, so let's, in, a, in a game where it is about murder and larceny, right? Let's, so let's talk about that then. Let's let's uh, let's say somebody's listening to this and they have decided that alignment is too fundamentally flawed as it exists, uh, and it needs to to be replaced. How do you replace it uh, in a way that's that's effective and not just another points keeping system that you have to keep track of, like was done in the, back in the day? Just get rid of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, think, I think what 5th edition does is a good start. Uh, if you want to play a, a character, give yourself a flaw, give yourself some traits, hmm. give yourself a bonds, um, and you know you can have fun, whether you're beer and pretzels or whether you're an in-depth you know, role player, you can use those to, to express you know, the, the actions and the thoughts of your character. Right. And that's and you one can of the, make it very specific. That that's even one of the ways where mechanically in fifth edition, where my group uses alignment, is we use it as another access to grant inspiration, much like the uh, the character traits. Sure. Uh, on the other side, uh, and, and so it's it's we use it for inspiration, and um, and it's basically just you know just kind of a role play guide. Like it's like ooh you know what would my character think about this situation? Well, what's my ideal? Uh, what's my alignment? That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Well, and use your words, right? If if those if you're like me and think those words, eh, they're not as smart as they could be, or in other words, kind of dumb, right? Use your mm-hmm. words to 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 describe what you, your character believes. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. I I can already see the nasty emails I'm going to get. <laughs> well, and I and I think I think that's all. That's that's good advice. And and honestly, that's sort of where I'm at with things with alignment myself. Is is that. I see it like you're talking about, as like bonds and flaws and, and all those things that, that help inform who my character is. I've never, as a DM, I've never used alignment as something I've rewarded with inspiration. Um, although I could, especially given that I'm playing some, some Rada Seven Parts thing and so, certain people have been forced into a lawful, a lawful alignment as a result, I probably yeah. should. I probably should well, I mean- uh, reward them for playing that up. If people are, are, you know, being having their alignment shifted toward lawful because of fragments of the rod, mm-hmm. um, I mean, that should almost be like a new flaw that they have. And yeah. so whenever they play up on that, that could be an access to award inspiration. Yeah, it could be. Well, and, and, and that brings up the point. Like, if I have, you know, those, if I have four, those four different traits that describe the personality of my character or, or five traits, if I include alignment, right? I have five, these five different mm-hmm. traits that are sort of describing how, how to play my character and to, to prompt me with the ideas of how I play my character. Um, if I got rid of any one or even two of those, I could still probably put together a pretty decent character and remember who they are and what what they're all about. Because honestly, 
I find most players end up ignoring one or two of them most of the time anyway. Yeah, it depends on the kind of campaign you want to run. If you are more of a humorous campaign, then you're going to focus more on these strange personality traits and flaws. Mm -hmm. If you're more of a dramatic campaign, then you're going to focus more on bonds because the drama is, you know, rubbing up against some sort of conflict with someone else, whether it be a PC or an NPC. Right. So, you know, that's what you're going to focus on depending on the kind of campaign that you, uh, that you want to run. Ideals are good for drama, too, making people yep. make those choices. For sure. <clears throat> so the, it sounds like the advice for if you want to get rid of alignment and replace it with something, it's replace it with the stuff that 5th edition is already, do, already doing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Put, put just uh, put put a greater spotlight on those things. Yeah. Or, um, or then, as Stephen says, just pick your own words for alignment. Well, yeah. And don't stick yeah, to, yeah, that to the normal axis. Yeah. Right. I, I'm a I'm a I'm a humanist. That's that's my alignment. Humanist. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I, and, and with a little description of what that means, so that everybody yeah. else can kind of understand day. it. That's a great way to do it. Sure. Yeah. Um, some of my other favorite games are the uh, the the World of Darkness games. So uh, you know I'm fine with playing without alignment but then you find other ways to help uh, express who this character is mm. through you know there are things like virtue and vice or you know nature demeanor or whatever d depending on the edition or game you're playing uh, and there's a lot there's a lot you can pull out of just having two words that describe some core component of your character and exploring what those words mean and mm -hmm. and how they'll bend or when they'll break yep i've seen a lot of players who enjoy fate um coming aspects. over to place yeah play D D and essentially aspects are those you know four qualities uh ideals bonds etc mm -hmm. and they you know they really get into that and they're starting to kind of port rather than just use inspiration as either it's checked or it's not there they're use actually using fate points uh and trading those bringing the the ideas of fate into D D. okay all right. Well, we've talked for quite some time now on alignment. Uh, last thoughts. What do you? What do you guys? Uh, last things you guys want to say about alignment before we uh, we move along? No, we got it all. We've covered everything. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think I got most I, of my stuff out there. I think the only other thing that I really dislike about alignment is sometimes it can be used as a uh, crutch for crappy behavior or mm. to create conflict within the uh, within the uh, within the group mm -hmm. and, and there's this sure. weird idea that it's all like well i can't like i wouldn't do that and it's you know and i always hate that argument i'm like you're playing your character you get to decide right, right. you get to like your alignment doesn't get to decide for you um uh, which that just drives me nuts. It's like, it's like the no, it's, it's like the novelist who talks about how well the character just had to do these things. Well, no, you chose to have the character do that thing. Yeah. You're writing the story, right? Right. And that and that I wouldn't do that, or I would. That goes both ways because there's you, then you get the guy who's like, oh well, I had to steal this before the party showed up because it's my alignment, it's my mm -hmm. character. Don't be that guy. Nobody right. likes no. that guy. Yeah, yeah. So that's a good piece of advice. Yeah, yeah. Don't own, don't don't use alignment to be that person. Right. right. Own own the actions that you are taking with your character. That's which I'm just you know now I'm just kind of underscoring what Steven said. You're making the choices for this character, right? The the character's traits on the sheet are not dictating that for you, mm -hmm. and you choose when the character decides to adhere to those and when the character decides to break from them. And if you choose to do you know, adhere or break in ways that damage the game for other people? You're just an asshole. True that. <laughs> Does it make sense to talk about mixed alignment play? Because that's kind of. Oh, sure. you're having like mixed alignment parties? You mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Talk, uh, well, I guess my 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 basic thought is don't have evil characters, but. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think it all comes back to communication again. You can have characters of any alignment as long as the players mm -hmm. have the social contract of either we have goals and we're going to we're going to meet those goals regardless of what our alignments are or if there is conflict, the conflict be part of the story that they're creating together. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't turn into animosity. It turns into, hey, you know, that's really cool the way that this worked out. It reminds me of this book I read or this movie I saw where these two characters had to work together, but they were so different, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it just, it's a social contract. Yeah, I th and I think that's a, that's a good point. Like, I, I honestly, 
I'm inclined most of the time, like you guys said, to, to just say no evil characters. On the other hand, some of the most memorable moments in games that I've played was when it's been revealed that somebody was, you know, evil this whole time and you never realized it. But they had a good reason to be working with the party, um, you know, and, and it wasn't revealed until it was clear, like, they're they're already on your team. For, for their right. own selfish reasons, maybe, but they're on your team and they're not going to betray you. Uh, and so that's part of that social contract. Like, I, I, could, I could see myself allowing... In my home game, probably not in my school game with the middle schoolers, uh, I could see myself allowing somebody to play an evil character as long as they had a, a good conversation with me about their backstory and about why they're evil and why they're working with the party and why that's never going to become uh, an issue of, of player versus player combat or, or anything like that because of that alignment. That it's not going to be an excuse to, to be a jerk to the other players and squash somebody else's fun. Yeah, I actually played in an evil campaign where all the characters were evil, but obviously we had reasons why we wanted to work together. That's a bit of a different animal too, yeah. Well, there's a there's only one real alignment in, in role-playing games, or categorical imperative, if you will, and that is have fun with friends. Yes. Right. So, so don't let the alignment system uh, stop that from happening. And if you and if you find interesting ways of doing that in a mixed alignment party, then then that's you know I guess all the all the more power to you. So I know I said don't allow evil alignments, and and that's said a little tongue in cheek, and it's a little over oversimplified. Um, to unpack that a little bit, a couple of the pitfalls I see I have seen often uh, to to running evil characters is a couple of things tend to happen. One, the character isn't really evil. Um, they say, the, the, the player says they want to play an evil character, they write an evil alignment down on the sheet, and they have this backstory about why they're evil, and then they never do anything evil. And, and I'm not saying, like, they don't stab their party members in the back. They never do anything that's evil. And if you're never doing anything that's evil, I contend that you are, in fact, not evil. Um, and, and so I, I question why you wanted this character to be evil in the first place. Like, couldn't you be doing the same thing that you're doing and be neutral and or good? Because the good guys, um, the bad guys are always more badass than the good guys in the stories. Well, if we want to just be edgy, <laughs> buy a trench coat. <laughs> um, the other thing I see happen is um, uh, they don't have a good uh, hook and motivation to be working with people of mixed alignments. Mm-hmm. And, and that either causes a disconnect or causes mm-hmm. strife. Absolutely. All right. Any other thoughts or, or topics that you want to bring up and, and discuss? No, I think. Yeah, I think I'm done. I mean, we could we could play a game of I'll name a character. You tell me what alignment it is, and then we argue oh, about it. Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Look at the time. <laughs> and, and, well, okay. I've got one last thing, and this is why alignment is dumb: is because each of us are actually a, a mix of good and evil, right? I mean, that's one of the reasons why I'd much prefer everybody just be on a line and and see where the chips fall where they may. Mm. Is because no one a lot. Good and evil are not intrinsic. Good and evil have everything to do with the actions and, and uh, of people and relative to, to other folks, right? And that's the way it's always been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that assessment. After you know, you get a few drinks of me, I, I, I get a little evil. <laughs> <laughs> what? No, yeah, no fear. Never. That's funny. Uh, long, long campaign back, uh, second edition campaign. Good friend of mine was playing, and he started out lawful neutral. And then, as he would drink over the course of the session, you could track how far we had gotten by how evil his character becomes towards the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he would shift from lawful neutral at the beginning to decidedly, viciously lawful evil at the end of the session. <laughs> one, of, yeah. one, of, one of my favorite shot glasses uh, came out with the release of third edition, um, and it is. It has little marks on it, and the bottom one is lawful, and the middle one is is neutral, and the last one is chaotic. (laughs) (laughs) Fill me up to chaotic. I'm feeling it tonight. Yeah, Yeah, no. I have to say, I think the probably the the smartest thing in terms of alignment that Wizards of the Coast ever did with the evolution of the game was de-emphasize the mechanical uh, elements of it. And if you're playing a version of the game or another game where where things like detect evil or or that kind of stuff. still exist in your game, um, I, I would just go ahead and, and house rule that out of the game uh, real fast. Yeah, because, yeah that, because, there's, nothing, 
There's nothing worse than someone, a cleric with the law domain in third edition, casting dictum, you know, in in the center square of town and all the neutral characters, uh, NPCs dying. Or, or their murder mystery instantly being solved because the paladin turns on Detect Evil and discovers, well, yeah, it, was, it yeah. was that guy. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting because, um, like we said before, it's kind of gone back and forth in different ways. Because I think, as I recall, in second edition, paladins didn't just detect evil alignment. They actually detected evil intent. Right. So that was like if someone is, is sort of in the throes of doing something evil, that would ping them, but not just like a, the selfish merchant, right. you know. And now um, they and now they switch it over to you can detect you know like outsiders you know yeah I, I, I can yeah, detect they, that there's a that there's a devil over there or whatever and that that makes more sense uh, in terms yeah. of not ruining the gameplay. Yeah, that switches back to what Stephen was saying about the teams. You, yep. Now you're detecting a team rather than a specific alignment. Right. right. I had actually played a, in a third edition game where we had done away with. Um, alignment keyed effects as far as basically normal people normal creatures mm-hmm. went things that were you know subtyped outsiders or whatever like a holy sword it wouldn't do any extra damage to the evil elf assassin mm-hmm. over there he's just like alignment just didn't work on that level in that game mm-hmm. uh if it was an evil outsider then you know or you know then you're you're getting into the point where the sword will actually you know sure. flare against it and all that stuff and that was that was interesting it was an interesting uh, switch up well and third edition had a lot of alignment key effects so, it had a so hell that's of a, a lot of alignment key <laughs> that, that's and, a and big it, change in the game yeah and part of it was de-emphasizing just the uh you know everybody wanted a holy weapon in, in third edition paradigm because it's just so good two 2d6 extra damage against damn near everything you're gonna fight why mm. wouldn't i want that right and so sort of de-emphasizing that uh, was a pretty huge paradigm shift uh, in that particular group. It was a lot of fun to play with. Well, not only that, in organized play, uh, you had you tended to gravitate towards neutral characters because you could get affected by less things. Yeah, there's that too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, I think we've talked this uh, topic out pretty well. So I'm going to go ahead and call that the end of this episode. We'd like to say thank you to our sponsor, Noble Knight, and as well as our guests. Hey, Dan, where can people find you online? Uh, sure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dan underscore Dylan underscore one, hiding in plain sight. Uh, and I'm on Facebook. I'm moderator of uh, Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition Facebook group, which is now over 100,000 members. So if you're looking at getting into 5th Ed D&D, come on and talk. We'd love to see you. I always wonder how much of your day do you spend moderating, moderating that group? Too damn much. And I've, uh, too damn much. And occasionally I have to put it on the back burner and let the other mods know that I'm going dark for a while. Because sure. I've got stuff to do. <laughs> that is an interesting place. Yes. <laughs> uh, Sean, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin. Or you can check out my podcast, Down with D&D, which I do with Chris Dizak on the Misdirected Mark Network. And you can check out my stuff on the DMs Guild by just searching for Sean Merwin. And spell Merwin for people. M-E-R-W-I-N. Like the wizard, but with a W instead of an L. Okay, yes. <laughs> okay, I was wondering, like, what wizard is named Merwin? Okay, now I got it. Yep. <laughs> and SRM, where can people find you? Well, I'm on Facebook. Um, I also have a Twitter account uh, that's key to the game I'm working on. It's called Delve RPG. So, uh, well, Delve RPG at, at Twitter and uh, at my my blog, which has not been updated lately because I'm in the middle of tons of freelance, uh, which is DelveRPG.com uh, and uh, over at the Paizo site. Awesome. Yes. We'd also like to say... Thanks to all of you for supporting the show by shopping with our affiliate links when you use Amazon or DMs Guild, or being a patron at our show's patreon.com slash the Tome Show. And our current patrons uh, to get a shout out this episode are Stephen Robertson, Leonard Peltier, Jeremiah McCoy, Robert Aducci, Matt Bible, Doug Palmer, and Mark Richmond. So thank you to, to you and all the other patrons uh, for supporting the show. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com. That goes straight to me, and then I will get it to whoever else needs to, to see it. Uh, and you can call the biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. You can reach out to Tracy on Twitter. She is at Sarah Dark Magic. I am at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H, and the show is at The Tome Show. 
and that's episode 290, where we all decided that Jeff is chaotic neutral. This episode of The Tone, The Tone, The Tone, The Tone. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to, like me. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to, like me. You don't think we fancy? Let me teach you about class. Priest, fighter, rogue, catch a kick. Your ass, you don't think we street, look at this table full of ice You don't think we hard, just touch my dice You don't think we can get it at the birds and the bees I'm a pallet in the suits, but a thief in the shoes My character shoots, cause they full of the brim With maxed out sass, out to up in my DM He think he in charge, we don't worry about him Simple when he out to get us, be like Jack the Swim Master player, traitor, master creator Look at me, master NPC generator Just cause she a master doesn't mean you have to hate her Got a boy, I don't need to no master later. I don't care if over there your character is dying Cause it's just like baseball There's no crying You wanna join in? Now you start realizing We're the cool, cool nerds Call me Neil deGrasse Tyson D to the R to the A and S D and D The dungeon master sets up a scenario Then he or she asks Where would you like to go? We talk as a group Then decide together There's no winning, yo We could play forever questions or clear up all your misconceptions stay right there let me answer your questions or clear up all your misconceptions you don't dress up to play D D. you don't dress up to play D D. you don't dress up to play D D. unless you want to like me you don't dress up to play D D. you don't dress up to play D D. you don't dress up to play D D. unless you want to like me you don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to, like me. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to, like me. I'm on the wall.